passages, one from John's Gospel as, an in, uh, as part of our uh, beginning of our thinking, and a short verse from Timothy uh, as we kick off. So from John chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. In the context of uh, John's Gospel, this is uh, just after Jesus has shared his last meal with the disciples, and he's, in John's Gospel, speaking to them, praying for them, assuring them that even in the face of what's going to happen, they, they don't need to be afraid. And it's a reminder, too, of his purposes and the, the trajectory that we are now in because of what he has set in motion. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue, in fact. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because... It is from me that he will receive what, has be, uh, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And he goes on and talks to the disciples, reminds them uh, that, that there are challenging days. Verse 33 at the end of chapter 16. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And a short verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 it says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's pray together. I pray, Father, that through what your Son has promised in the coming of the Spirit, He would enact and speak and clarify and reveal and give insight, not just about the Scriptures, though we learn and hold them so precious, but about the now and the here and our lives and, and our calling to follow you and what it means to be prayerful and faithful and obedient as your disciples, 2018. Holy Spirit, come and build faith. Draw people to Jesus, myself included. 
Amen. Amen. So, uh, thanks. If you put the, the first screen on, please, of the, the slide on the PowerPoint. So, um, as, you, as you know, uh, as, a, as a church, we are in partnership with um, a few organizations uh, because we believe and recognize that it's not just us as an island in, uh, in the middle of the Cotswolds and all the edge of the Cotswolds and, and carrying on. When people come into uh, this neck of the woods, people kind of, it's so nice, isn't it? A visitor a few months ago drove in and, and kind of looked at the, the, uh, the picture, par- picture postcard look of the Cotswolds and said, it, what are the problems here? It's so beautiful. Uh, and obviously, that's the first impression, and we, we who live here know that uh, there's, there's many things that aren't just so. But also, because we uh, are uh, connected with um, our friends and, and family in different parts of the world, we're also aware that this day and age is not an easy age for believers, for Christians, followers of the Messiah, Jesus. And uh, one of our partners is Open Doors. Uh, we pray for the persecuted church regularly, and we're delighted to do so. And they've produced uh, a series of, um, uh, of thoughts, reflections, that we're going to use in the next eight or so weeks called Dangerous Faith. And uh, we're delighted to do this and because it helps us in Britain, in our place, be rooted and recognizing what it means to be part of the worldwide family, the worldwide church. What it means to be uh, confessing believers, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the impact of that for us here and now, but also what that means in this world that still chooses to reject Jesus. There are many, many Many verses in the Bible, as I have read from John, from Timothy. Uh, Again, we could read in Hebrews when the writer talks about those who are pioneers of faith, says that sometimes, even with great faith, those are overcome uh, with the, they escaped the sword, some were uh, persecuted. Some were stoned, some were sawn in two, some were killed with the, uh, with, uh, the sword. Others went around destitute, pers- persecuted, and ill-treated. Jesus teaches us in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, pray and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Romans, Paul writes to the church at the center of uh, the superpower of his age, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Persecution is increasing across the world, and indeed, especially against Christians and our family. Please bear in mind that the eight weeks aren't going to be, like, really depressing. But it's good that we take time. This week, the Open Doors, our partner organization, is launching what is called the World Watch List, um, and there's a map for 2018 that is uh, going to be there. Uh, it's, it's on their website. You can uh, peruse the different countries. The, the, the more uh, orange the color, the, the, more, uh, the higher up the list of the 50 most persecuting countries of Christians in the world. It's been recognized and, and it's being launched in Parliament this week. And uh, there are many uh, MPs and politicians gathering uh, to hear of that, and it's been recognized. It is going to be on the news. I understand BBC have recognized that this is an important piece of research. There's nothing like it elsewhere in the world. Uh, 
and we'll be reporting on it. Pray for those in places of power this week to hear and be concerned. One of the things Open Doors will uh, recognize and declare is that over 200 million Christians around the world are being persecuted because of their faith. They are being beaten and killed and forcibly detained and denied education or job opportunities or a place in society. Churches and homes are being bombed and burned and children abducted today. Open Doors tell us that for the fifth year in a row, the level of overall persecution has risen. It's got worse. The intensity is increasing. North Korea remains number one on the list. We've heard from Phil this last year of, of his visit there. But interestingly, only just number one, as if that's the wonder, you know, kind of place of acclaim to achieve. Only just still number one. Afghanistan is only one point now below it. India, uh, one of uh, the places we have a partnership, uh, the world's largest democracy has risen to its highest ever position to number 11 in the most persecuting places of the world. Islamic extremism continues to strangle the expression of the Christian faith, fueling persecution in eight out of the 10 top 10 most difficult countries to believe. But there are believers. The wonder of the gospel, as I've been reading again this season of the, of the Old Testament, the prophetic promises, and, and as Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, that that is happening. That in many, many places, contexts that are defined as closed or difficult or extreme, there is a secret or an underground church of believers who are confessing and living with faith. Firstly, as, as we think about this, it's, it's not new persecution. Jesus himself said that it would happen, but actually the, the opposition to God and his purposes is, is actually something that has gone on ever since God announced and said that we should turn to him. Opposition has come. In the history of God's people and indeed the history of the church, it is drenched in the blood of the martyrs. We know in church history that there have been severe times of persecution under different Roman emperors, but it didn't stop there. We must just say about persecution, just for the record, that persecution isn't just unique to Christians. People of other, other faiths suffer persecution, and, and Christians, actually, we must be real about this, aren't exempt from being persecutors. There have been times, uh, and we know of the impact of that in the Crusades when Christians journeyed to Jerusalem and committed atrocities in the name of the God of love. It's an anathema. And of course, we must repent and ask for forgiveness for those moments still in parts of the world. And indeed, We must recognize and be real about the fact that it isn't just persecution of Christians, but Christians persecute each other. Different aspects of the Christian faith have focused horrific acts on other believers. We only know the story of Northern Ireland and the Protestant Catholic issues. 
I was just reading and thinking about William Tyndale, who based in Oxford, 40 miles away a few centuries ago. He believed fundamentally that people, ordinary people, should have a Bible in their own language, no longer just in Latin and the preserve of Roman Catholic priests. So he started to translate the Bible that we now have access to freely into English. And he was arrested and strangled and burned. During the last 2,000 years, there's estimated to have been over 40 million Christian martyrs two-thirds of whom died in the last century alone. In other words, more Christians were killed last century than in all the other 19 combined. We pray for the church out there. One of the things that we need to remember is that it's still our family. We, uh, we live in an age, and we, we often make reference to this in our prayers, we are so thankful that we are able to meet freely in a school, and we're able to stand together and worship and, and be on the streets freely and, and share our faith generally without opposition. And for that, we must pray and continue to contend. Someone said it like this, all religious liberty is bought by blood. Ours was. It's just that it happened a little bit longer ago for us in this nation. The religious liberty and the freedom that we profess and, and encourage in our nation didn't just happen by chance or by accident, by, by people protesting, people campaigning, people standing for the right to be free. A precious, precious liberty that we dare not let slip. And so this is the context in which we will explore what it means to share faith. One of the things, um, I did a little bit of gardening this morning, just a little bit, and I brought uh, my s thorny stick. It's a rose, believe it or not, uh, but it's midwinter. Uh, Phil and I were with um, uh, Open Doors earlier last year, and um, a guy who you'll see in a moment called Ron Boyd uh, McMillan talked about um, an insight that he'd learned. He said, um, the church is like like a thorny stick or a bit of a rose. And we're all sitting on the branch somewhere. For us, we're sitting in a bit that's kind of benign, generally, and quite benevolent and not very spiky. But there are brothers and sisters in the world who are sitting right on the edge of the thorn. And if I am pressing one now, if I press hard enough, it will draw blood. For the reality that we are part of the worldwide family, the universal church through the ages and now in different parts of the world, we are all sitting on the branch. We are all part of one body. For some of us, that is a most uncomfortable experience. And it's a reminder for us in, in Chipping Camden in 2018 and the places of the North Cotswold. And if you're visiting from further afield, please uh, let me know where but we're all part of this. And we want to, in this series, kind of recognize that and understand that and not just be heavy laden and heavy hearted, though that is possibly where we might be from time to time and, and rightly so, but also to learn from and to be stirred by and encouraged. 
Why? Why does this happen? Well, firstly, that in these uh, eight or nine weeks that we're, we're together and thinking about dangerous faith, that actually there's something about understanding what is God is doing through his people that will bring a faith boost. Because actually, if you've ever read biographies of Christian uh, kind of missionaries and pioneers and those who, saints that uh, we've seen, or even in the Bible you read about the stories of faith, that actually their journey is not just a bed of roses. Well, actually, it's interesting, isn't it? Roses have got thorns. I know that. That there's something inspiring about brothers and sisters who follow Jesus, who, who live and contend in their faith, in sometimes in the face of adversity, and it encourages, it builds us up, and we think, look at them. They, they can uh, show us the faith. They've inspired us about how they've contended through struggles and challenges and difficult times, sometimes with mental illness and struggle, uh, sometimes with physical adversity, and sometimes from outward oppression. It builds our faith, doesn't it, when we hear those testimonies and those stories? That that's part of our hope in journeying with uh, the church at large and learning from the stories of Scripture and where we are in that, where we are on that branch. I hope it will bring a faith boost in understanding what endurance can mean, in encouragement of God at work, and indeed in the triumph through adversity. Also, it, it can bring a faith challenge. It can bring a faith challenge for us to live out and learn from others and their faith. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. One of the things, uh, a question, uh, this was uh, something that was, that was shared by Ron. We'll see him in a moment. He uh, has a, a whole bunch of links with the, the Chinese church. And one of the questions as they gather for fellowship groups or as they gather secretly, they, they ask each other the question, this question, and I wonder if this is ever a question that you have asked a fellow believer or asked yourself. They ask each other, what are your faith wounds for Christ this week? We're called to follow Jesus. And that's the most wondrous life, and to grow as followers of Jesus. And finally, we can have a faith model. That faith is modeled for us from the insights that are gained and learnt by our sisters and brothers in different places. We can learn from their experience and be shaped by their experience. We haven't got a monopoly on how God is at work. So as an introduction to this, uh, that we take seriously and, and we love the Scriptures. But to put a little bit in context, I'm going to ask um, uh, the, the first of the videos to, to kind of come on. This is part of the theme and the series of Dangerous Faith. But why? Um, one of the things that we will discover over the coming weeks as we read the Scriptures for ourselves. Life does go dark for every one of us at some point, and that's when we need the faith of others to carry us. We were not meant to bear our burdens alone. Now, persecuted Christians know all about those dark times, and they've proved God's power and love in overcoming the darkness. So if we can listen to their stories, we get the strength to face the dark and see the loving face of God.
When I was a student, there was a famous preacher that came to our church and he went up into the pulpit carrying a very large Bible and put it down on the lectern with a great big thump. And he said, the last year I've gone through this book and I've cut out all the verses to do with the poor. And then he held it up and he opened it and of course it fell in tatters. And then he said, this is the Western Bible. We've cut out all the references to the poor and we no longer have a Bible that works. And I was thinking about that, it made a big impact on me. I wonder if we've done the same with suffering. Have we gone through the book, the Bible, and cut out the references, the verses, to do with persecution, to do with suffering? And that would be a great shame if we have, because life does go dark for each of us at some point. And that's when we need God the most. And actually, that's when we can listen to the persecuted the most, because their testimony is that they have found God to be faithful, powerful, meaningful, and strong in those times of darkness. This is what this series, Dangerous Faith, is all about. Letting the persecuted, using their story, to put our Bible back together again, so that we have a book that works. And ultimately, so that we find a bigger God, a more dangerous God, less safe, less predictable, less ordinary, a God free to be who he really is. And so that we would become a lot more dangerous too, as we live out a more radical faith. I remember a friend of mine who was running a bookshop in Gaza, and it was bombed one day. And I was talking to him, and he said, well, Ron, it was a beautiful bomb. And I said, pardon? He said, it was a beautiful bomb, he said. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they wouldn't be bombing us if we weren't making a difference. He knew God was building the kingdom. So that's a remarkable feature of the stories of the persecuted, the way they find this song of joy through the valley of suffering. When you think of what your Bible really is, it's persecution literature. It's written by persecuted believers for the strengthening of other persecuted believers. The vast majority of it fits that category. So why wouldn't we listen to the persecuted of the world today to help us read it? Because they are the community that's closest to the people who first read and wrote this book. The Bible, let's face it, is full of suffering. Even in the first 30 pages, you've got murder, rape, fratricide, genocide. It's full of suffering. And persecution, which is a form of suffering, perhaps one of the most intense forms, is all through it. Think of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is really the story of a minority group of people, the Jews, who are always under threat of extinction because they're surrounded by enemies that want to do them harm. And still, remarkably, they manage to bring God's light to the nations. The Gospels see Jesus Christ persecuted onto a cross. 
And yet through that death and resurrection, he offers salvation to everyone. The epistles are really all about a church that is deep underground. And Paul, of course, who is the most uh, well-known correspondent, he's writing a lot of his letters from a jail cell. And yet, look how he takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Bible climaxes, actually, with this large, dense, amazing, symbolic book called Revelation that's also written by John, who's in exile at the time. And it's all about how to keep believing that God's eternal kingdom is being built even though the beast appears to be winning. And that's where the Bible ends, with that great picture of how through the blood of the martyrs, God builds this wonderful, eternal and phenomenal kingdom. Persecution's central to the book. I don't think we can make enough sense of the Bible if we don't really take the suffering bit seriously, especially the persecution elements seriously. Otherwise, we may not have a book that works and we may have a God that is not strong enough when we go through the hard times. If people who have suffered see the face of God in the middle of suffering, it shows that God is there in the suffering. It shows that he's with us. It shows that he loves us. It, it reveals his compassion in a completely new way. We need the persecuted to put our Bible back together again. I hope that draws you out in wanting to understand the scriptures in a deeper way of thinking from a different perspective as we approach these stories of understanding not only how that applies to our sisters and brothers in other places, but actually how that affects us in the here and now. Perhaps a different place on the stick, but we're still on the stick. Perhaps not under the extreme spotlight that many of our sisters and brothers are, but the common journey of suffering and challenge. It's interesting to note in when you kind of look at the challenges that come to people of faith, it tends to come from five main sources. Rulers, religious, the mobs and crowds, merchants, and families. There's always persecution close by, Paul writes to Timothy. Alongside our sermon series, I've been uh, over the Christmas period and, and uh, a little bit recently watching some movies uh, in my, my kind of spare time. And uh, I've watched four particularly that uh, I want to, we we're going to, to kind of use, not on a Sunday morning because that would be a long time, but we're going to set aside four evenings on Thursdays to, uh, to have um, a complementary kind of aspect to the Sunday morning. It's going to call it, it's not really that creatively titled, but Faith in Film. And uh, there are going to be four films that you may have seen or you may not 
but actually you have a lot of these threads being drawn out in them. Uh, the first one we're going to, to look and watch is a film called Hacksaw Ridge. Anyone seen that? A few. Those who put their hands up, do you, do you think it's a good film? Amazing film. It's a film that is based on a true story. It's based in the Second World War. It's, it's quite a challenging film in places because it's fairly real about what law, uh, war is like. But in that film, the main character, the protagonist, is a person of faith. And he signs up to, to uh, be part of the World War II effort in America. And it's the story about what it means to be a confessing believer when all around those in his, uh, in his squad, those his commanding officers, even those closest to him, are saying, why don't you compromise that faith that you have? And working out faith in action. The, uh, the second film that uh, we're going to, to see is uh, a film called um, Of Gods and Men. It's, um, it's a film that is based, again, on a true story of believers in, in Algeria who were very well respected and welcomed in the community uh, in North Africa uh, of monks living out, worshipping of a faithful witness to Jesus Christ and the challenges of uh, growing Islamic extremism alongside. And the film raises some uh, profound questions about, do you stay? Do you flee? Do you compromise? Do you confess? What happens? They're not necessarily easy films. The third film we're going to, 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 to watch is a film called The Silence. And your hands up those who've seen The Silence. Gosh, no one's seen The Silence. Uh, Seen the other three. The, uh, the silence is, uh, it's been, uh, it, it was, um, I think last year or early, t- t- uh, late 2016, Liam Neeson stars, it was uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, it was in many cinemas, uh, it was nationally released. Uh, and it's based upon a true story again, uh, based in Japan this time in around the 1600s, and of the, the missionary movement in Japan of sharing the gospel and very strong uh, opposition to not only the missionaries who've come uh, as Catholic missionaries, but also of the local church in Japan, of uh, the challenge of, uh, of denying Jesus, and uh, how the local church responds when leaders are oppressed and persecuted. It's a, it's a really um, wonderful film. The, the main, one of the other main actors, I've forgotten his name, has said publicly as the actor, he said he fell in love with Jesus, not a believer, but he fell in love with Jesus as he was acting this role. He said, I'm not so certain about the church, but I fell in love with Jesus as he got to know Jesus in his character as a padre in the film. It's, it's, it's a film that it doesn't sit easily to watch. But it's a brilliant film. And wanting us to use story in this way to help us in what we're thinking about in the Scripture. To help us maybe address uh, it through the power of movie, the power of story. We can bring popcorn and snacks. You know, we're going to be in the high street building for that and uh, be a good sound system. It's on a big screen. But actually, to have a, sh- a shared journey, a shared experience through faith in the movies about exploring some of these issues we're thinking about on Sunday. And then the, the final film is uh, going to be a film called The Shack. You may have read the book. Uh, you may have um, seen the film. Uh, it's, uh, it's based on a book by, um, that, that is a really, really good book. But it, again, it, it, it touches on the question of suffering. Where is God when your world falls apart? 
Where is God when something awful happens in your life? Four amazing films that we're going to be using some Thursday nights, four Thursday nights in the coming couple of months to think about faith in the now, faith in the living in the 21st century. And so just in, in conclusion, in close uh, of, uh, of the message, I want to, to show the second part, the introduction, the main theme of, of um, these uh, Sunday mornings will be from the book of Acts. Acts, as you know, is the acts of, of God, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the early church, but also very strongly the acts of persecution. Of seeing, if we don't understand that, that, that part of what God accomplishes is through the pressure that is put upon the church. And what happens as believers sometimes scatter and flee out of fear, but nevertheless don't compromise. Sometimes really bad stuff happens, the first martyr of the New Testament of the age of the resurrected Jesus occurs in the story of Acts. The first time that people were called Christians, as the church in Jerusalem was scattered because of rising hostility, moved to Antioch, and they, they, they used this derogatory term, you little Christs, who do you think you are? Christians. And it ends uh, in chapter 28 with Paul, in prison in Rome and kind of goes out on a low key and ends sort of like on a, like, really, is that it? This acts? But lessons from the Bible, lessons, lessons from the early church, lessons from our church history, lessons for the now of what it means to profess and confess and follow a radical Jesus as radical disciples. So here's the introduction to the series of some more comments and thoughts from Ron of what we'll be thinking and sharing of in the coming weeks. Thank you. I once visited Indonesia with Brother Andrew, that great servant of the Suffering Church, and a group of Christian leaders came to meet us from a very large city on the island of Java, and they were full of excitement. And they said, Andrew, we're living in the Book of Acts. We've seen growth, angels, healings, miracles, amazing conversions. Come, they said, come to our church, and you'll walk onto the pages of the Book of Acts. And Andrew looked at them and he said, the book of Acts, well now, take me to see your persecution. Persecution, they said, we don't have any. We're doing so much good here, everybody loves us. And Andrew just smiled and he said, well, then you can't be living in the book of Acts. It's true, sure. In the book of Acts, we do have miracles. Yes, we have growth. Yes, we have conversions. But the strongest theme in the book is persecution. In the early chapters, the Spirit comes down. You get Pentecost. There's growth in Jerusalem. But it's not long before the leading apostles get a flogging. And after that, Stephen gets stoned to death. And after that, Paul starts persecuting. Peter gets jailed and the church gets scattered by a great persecution. 
And the surprising thing is, that's how God wanted it. Because persecution gives power to people who've never had it before, and it pushes them out to places and to peoples who've never heard the gospel before. So the gospel spreads to the Gentiles thanks to persecution. It's the engine of the gospel. And so Antioch takes over as the main sending church from Jerusalem, and Paul the persecutor turns into Paul the persecuted. He gets a stoning in Lystra, he's attacked by a mob and he's jailed in Philippi, he's abused in Berea, he's nearly killed by a mob in Ephesus, he narrowly escapes a lynching in Jerusalem, and he spends the last third of the book as a prisoner, surviving an assassination plot and arriving in Rome under house arrest. And that's where the book climaxes, with Paul still under arrest. And why is this? Because God spreads the gospel to the ends of the earth through the pain and the chains of persecution. It's the point of the book. Acts doesn't make sense without persecution. The gospel only spreads because of it. Persecution is the motor of the gospel. And that's God's way. And maybe, though it's a very unrealized truth today, maybe it's still his way. So let's go through the book of Acts and use these stories of the persecuted church to help us be challenged by the original beating heart of the book. There's an old hymn that says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. It's my hope and my prayer in these coming weeks that we would be stirred in our discipleship. I was talking recently with a young person and they were saying, oh, there's not much in this Christian living. It's, I'd rather do it somewhere else. I'd rather just kind of get on with my own life. And I was saying, actually, there's fullness of life in Jesus but the way of the gospel is that we give up our life for him. That's the radical discipleship of, of, of God who says, come, follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross, follow me, and I will give you fullness of life. It seems astonishingly topsy-turvy. Lose your life and find it. And over the years, I remember when I was first on my action team as a 21-year-old and going off to Zimbabwe, reading the story of William Carey and being inspired about his generation and generations after, who said, we we'll count the cost and still we will go. And there's many modern day people who are following the Lord in all sorts of contexts and all sorts of places who said, living this life is worth it because Jesus is Lord and I yield my life to him. Dangerous faith. And it's our prayer that together we would grow in that dangerous faith. Not to become extremists like the world portrays, but lovers of Jesus and lovers of those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And lovers of our community and say, Jesus comes first. And we'll learn and be inspired from the Bible, from the story of Acts, 
and some contemporary stories and illustrations to help shape our thinking and our faith as his followers. Let's pray together.